there is no God but the Lord, and Christ is his son. I have never seen a rug-chewing meltdown like that. <laughs> because the Islamic credo is there is no God but Allah, and Muhammad is his prophet. And to end the discussion, I had taken his statement and shredded it. He could not handle that. I know Christians who believe the full and complete measure of a man's character can be determined by whether or not he is gentle of heart, and they define gentle to mean never nasty. That's it. No other virtue matters. Well, gentleness is not one of the four cardinal virtues. It's not one of the heavenly graces. But let's look at Scripture. Jesus, Paul, Peter, Elijah, Hosea, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Moses, Joshua, almost every other prophet at some time got mean with the people that they were talking with. Elijah taunted his foes by saying, Shout louder. Maybe your God is on the toilet and can't hear you. That's not respectful of the other person's religion. <laughs> That's using the rhetorical hammer to end the debate. Was it gentle when Amos told the women of Jerusalem, Gather around, you fat cows of Bashan, I need to tell you what the Lord is saying. No, <laughs> but he got their attention. What about when St. Augustine told his debate opponent that God had reserved a special place in hell for those who asked stupid theology questions? Not gentle. Read Jonathan Edwards' sermon, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. It's mean, it's insulting, and about as far from gentle as you can possibly be. But it started a revival that consumed the eastern seaboard. By focusing so completely on the love of Christ to the exclusion of God's righteous judgment and anger at sin, the church has weakened its witness in society. Now, at the same time, there must be balance. Clearly, God does not want us to enact revenge, as that is talked about, warned against several times in Scripture. Throughout the history of the church, many have willingly died for their faith going into the arena, knowing that they would not survive, yet comforted by their faith. Eleven of the twelve apostles died violently this way. The only exception is John, who died of old age, exiled to the rock quarries on the island of Patmos. The number of Christians who died during Nero's persecution and in the Colosseum are uncountable. It was not enough for the persecutors to simply kill Christians. They often tortured them to death. Clearly, Christians have been on both ends. They have been warriors and soldiers, fighting evil whenever found, and defending the innocents. They have also been martyrs for their faith. So how do we interpret turn the other cheek in light of insults and warfare? How do we respond when someone consistently returns evil for the good that we have given them. There are two passages today, and we will see how both of them apply to Jesus' message from the Sermon on the Mount to turn the other cheek. The first is Jesus' interaction with the Pharisees in John 8, and the other is the stoning of Stephen in Acts 7. 
Instead of reading them at the first, we will read them at each point of explanation. First, when Jesus was insulted by the Pharisees, John 8, 34 through 52. Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is the slave of sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son does, does remain forever. So if the son makes you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you are Abraham's descendants, yet you seek to kill me, because my word has no place in you. As I speak the things which I have seen my father, seen with my father, therefore you also do the things which you have heard from your father. They answered and said to him, Abraham is our father. And Jesus replied, If you are Abraham's children, do the deeds of Abraham. But as it is, you are seeking to kill me, a man who has told you the truth, which I heard from God. This Abraham did not do. You are doing the deeds of your father. They said to him, We were not born of fornication. We have one father, God. Jesus said to them, If God were your father, you would love me. For I proceeded forth and came from God. For I have not even come on my own initiative, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I am saying? Is it because you cannot hear my word? You are of your father, the devil. And you want to do the desires of your father. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. Whenever he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own nature, for he is a liar and the father of lies. But because I speak the truth, you do not believe me. Which one of you convicts me of sin? If I speak truth, why do you not believe me? He who is of God hears the words of God. For this reason, you do not hear him because you are not of God. The Jews answered and said, to him, do we not rightly say that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? Jesus answered, I do not have a demon, but I honor my father and you dishonor me. But I do not seek my glory. There is one who seeks and judges. Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will not see death. The Jews said to him, now we know you have a demon. Abraham died and the prophets also. And you say, if anyone keeps my word, he will never taste of death. Surely you are not greater than our father Abraham who died. The prophets died too. Whom do you make yourself out to be? Jesus answered, If I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my Father who glorifies me, of whom you say he is our God, and you have not come to know him, but I know him. And if I say that I do not know him, I will be a liar like you, but I do know him and keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day. And he saw it and was glad. So the Jews said to him, You are not fifty years old, and you claim to have seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. Therefore they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. In interactions like this, Christ is our model. He never responded with hatred, but in this conversation you can see that he was angry at the Pharisees. And not responding with hatred may be the answer to our question. When debating the Pharisees, he called them out on their hypocrisy, even insulting them as the discussion went along. However, he did not do it for his own sake. He did so to prevent them from leading others astray. When they called him illegitimate in John 8:41, the Greek emphasizes the we as if they are saying, we were not born of fornication, but one in this conversation who shall remain nameless, but his initials are J.C., sure was. 
he returns the, their insult. You're right. Your father is the devil. Whoa. Then they double down and ask if he is a Samaritan. A Samaritan was not just a resident and descendant of Samaria, but an idiom for, again, one born out of wedlock. They also insulted his intellect here. Well, Jesus, since you missed our thinly veiled insult the first time, we'll just ask it straight out. With the Pharisees, he could reason and debate before the insults began. With the Sadducees, he called them whitewashed tombs full of dead men's bones. Here he tells the Pharisees that he is the Son of God. This is the same passage where they want to stone him for blasphemy. They are threatening him, but he responds only to the needed level. When in his trials, he was silent against their insults and accusations, answering only their direct questions. The time for reasoned debate had passed. The time for insults was also gone. He was not going to change their minds or the minds of those watching without acting. His time had come. When we are insulted and feel the need to take revenge, ask who benefits from the response. Will the hearer, will your insults to him snap him out of his anger at you and help him see the light? Maybe his anger is displaced and it's at someone else truly that he's taking it out on you. And he needs to become aware of that. We are not called to be doormats. We're not called to be cowards. That idea has cost the church much in its witness. Society expects us to go gently and meekly into that good night. I do not see that. God all, and God never has. Our prayer as Christians is to be conformed to the image of Christ. He responded differently to different situations. And we will now look at someone who was conformed to that image of Christ with the stoning of Stephen in Acts 7, 51 through 60. When Stephen is on trial before the Sanhedrin, he says, You men who are stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears are always resisting the Holy Spirit. You are doing just as your fathers did. Which one of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? They killed those who had previously announced the coming of the righteous one, whose betrayers and murderers you have now become. You who received the law as ordained by angels, and yet did not keep it. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the quick, and they began gnashing their teeth at him. But being full of the Holy Spirit, he gazed intently into heaven, and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens opened, and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out with a loud voice, and covered their ears, and rushed at him with one impulse. When they had driven him out of the city, they began stoning him. And the witnesses laid aside their robes at the feet of a young man named Saul. They went on stony Stephen as he called on the Lord and said, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then falling on his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. Having said this, he fell asleep. In his trial, Stephen does not defend himself. He defends the faith. Like the prophets of old, he confronts the leaders of Israel with God's truth. When Nathan accused David of theft and adultery, he did so out loud and in public. Samuel did the same with Saul, telling him that the kingship would be taken from him because of his disobedience. It was worse to obey, to disobey, than it was good to make a sacrifice. 
At this point, Stephen has already tied Christianity to Christianity to the message of God in the Old Testament. He now attacks those who have denied Jesus and his church. He calls them stiff-necked, an insult used by the prophets many times against Israel. It means stubborn or obstinate. It was originally used to describe an, an oxen that would bunch up his neck and refuse to take the yoke that the farmer was trying to put on him. Stephen then goes a step further. He calls them uncircumcised in hearts and ears. He tells them that even though they have the outer marks of obedience to God, they aren't truly following his covenant. Moses and the prophets also use this phrase against the people. Stephen is keeping his connection to Scripture in this whole conversation. When Stephen strikes at them with, you are just like your fathers, you always resist the Holy Spirit, he ties them directly to the rebels of the past. They aren't just resisting Stephen, they are resisting God. This is a grave situation he warns them of. Perhaps it is telling that Stephen does not call for them to repent. They have already rejected Peter's call to salvation. They have heard the law as delivered by prophets and angels, but rejected it. They have rejected the preaching of Moses and the preaching of the apostles. They have betrayed the Messiah by turning him over to the Gentiles and caused his murder. Stephen stirs them up, knowing what is on the line. We see a drastic contrast between Stephen and the Sanhedrin. When they gnash their teeth or cut to their hearts and resist the Holy Spirit, Stephen is full of the Holy Spirit. He begins to pray, but is answered directly by God before he utters a word. When he relates to the people what God has shown him, they drag him outside the city and stone him. They refuse to listen to God's message and stone him in mob justice. Nothing in their treatment was lawful. The books of Moses explain exactly how a condemned man is to be stoned. And they do not do so. Stephen is not placed in the correct position for a stoning, nor does one man throw the first stone. Both required by God's law. The position and one stone were items of mercy. The, acute, the condemned was laid out so that he would be easy to hit. And the first stone, a large stone approximately the size of a man's chest, would be thrown. If it killed him, it was considered mercy. And it was to be thrown with the aim of killing, that the execution be quick. In his final words, Stephen repeats the words of Jesus from the cross. Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Stephen has been fully conformed to the image of Christ. According to early church historians, these same words will also be said by by Jesus' brother James in a few years when the Sanhedrin executes him. What is our goal when we speak harshly to someone and return insults? Are we trying to lead them to Christ? Or are we making them a punching bag? Only God knows when a person has passed their last chance at repentance. A proper response means that we must be listening for God at all times. You can't say, excuse me, I need to go pray about how to respond to your insults. You have to be ready at all times, prayed up, and conformed to his image 
so that what comes out of you is what he has already put in your heart. What I can tell you is that neither Jesus nor Stephen responded with anger or insults to defend their own honor. Neither sought vengeance. Both prayed that God would forgive those who had wronged them, who wronged them even unto death. This is where we too must conform to Christ. Those in danger must be warned of their danger. The answer to the question of the godly response is where is your heart? Are you doing it out of love or out of hatred? The answer there tells you how to respond. And the altar is open for you to seek the face of God that you may be ready to answer with the heart of God when you are challenged and insulted. We are told to always be ready to answer every man of the hope that is within us. We must, be pray, we must pray to get to that point. Let us pray and then the altars will be open. You may other, and if you do not need to either come to the altar or kneel at your own place, you may be dismissed. Father God, the proper response is something that we must always be looking for. We pray that you open our hearts and hearts to what you have taught us this morning, that we may not respond from hatred, but that we may respond with love, that we do not tolerate sin, but that we warn people who are in danger. All of us have times when we need to be made aware and when we need to be nudged to go the right direction. Help us to keep focusing on you that we may always be listening when you speak. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.